Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will continue teaching us from Genesis chapter 24 on the characteristics of Abraham's servant, Eleazar, in that he listened, desired to succeed, and made Abraham happy. And we hope you're enjoying these tremendous Bible studies, this great expository teaching that we're getting from Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. And we do appreciate your listenership, and we hope that you'll go to our website, friendshipwithgod.org, to take advantage of some of our free resources or to go to our bookstore that's there. But we also want to make an invitation to you for 2015 to become one of our monthly supporters of Friendship with God so we can continue broadcasting on this station in your city, as well as providing the messages for free for you, the listener, on iTunes.com, SermonAudio.com, and also on our main website, FriendshipWithGod.org. All there for free listening and free download, but it's there with your support, and we need you to become a monthly supporter if you can. You can call us at 800 247 3051, and we can set you up for that. That's 800-247-3051, and that'll help continue Friendship with God airing on this station in your city and also available by podcast and MP3 download. Again, it's 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051 to support Friendship with God this year in 2015 with a monthly donation of any amount. Or you can donate one time online at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, on Friendship with God. You know, it's very interesting when you look at one of the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus. It's very interesting because it was when the priest, this particular sacrifice, is when the priest went along with the flow of the Jewish people and sinned. So the Jewish people were sinning, and the priest just kind of goes along with the flow, and he realizes, oh, what have I done? You know, I've sinned just like with all the people. I haven't stand against it. And so then God says, okay, when this happens, he says to the priest, when this happens, here's what you need to do. He says, you have to get a young bull. And then he's like giving the priest, it looks like a butcher's list. You know, they're going to separate this and that and then all these parts out of the bull. But it's interesting when you get to verse 11 of Leviticus 4, and he says this, and the skin of the bullock, so now we count them, right? Skin. And all his flesh, number two, and with his head, with his legs, with his inwards, and his dung. Six. Okay, six. All right. Even the whole bullock shall he carry forth without the camp unto a clean place where the ashes are poured out and burn him on the wood with fire where the ashes are poured out shall he be burned. See what it's supposed to do with it? Carry him forth without the camp. Not at the altar, not a sacrifice to God on the altar. Take him outside and burn. See, these are the six parts of the young bull that was not to be offered to God, but to be carried out of the camp and burned up. So what were they again? Okay, first of all, there was the skin or the hide of the animal. That speaks of the attraction to sin. That's what you see. It's the attraction. 1 John 2.16 says, All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And when sin in the world looks so attractive to us, looks so interesting to us, and it's got a beauty to it, what are we to do? Be like the priest. Carry it outside the camp. Burn it, God says. Crucify it. Mortify it. As it says in Romans 6.12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. 
That was the first, the skin. Second, the flesh, the flesh of the young bull. It also had to be carried outside the camp and burned. What's the flesh speaks of? It speaks of our inward desire to sin. It's embedded in us. You know, Paul says in Romans 7, 24, speaking of this embeddedness of sin within us, he said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? See, the flesh speaks of the wretched men, the wretchedness that we are. And he says in Romans 8.13, if we live after the flesh, you shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify, put to death, carry outside the camp and burn, mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. Oh, that was the flesh. Then there was the head, the head of the animal. It had to be carried outside the camp and burned. See, that speaks of our willfulness, the head. You know, we say he's headstrong. And when Abraham said, if the woman's not willing, you should be free from the the oath, this shows that Abraham was not headstrong. He was not stubborn. And again, so God says, that headstrongness outside the camp, burn it. And then there were the legs of the young bull that was to be carried again outside the camp and burned. What are the legs? The legs speaks of our readiness, our readiness to go astray from God. We are so quick to walk away from God. That's what it says in Isaiah 53, 6. It might as well say, all we, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. It might as well say, all we like sheep are so quick to go astray. We're just like, we can't believe it. As Pastor Jim used to say, what in the world? And <laughs> that it says, we have, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. Oh, it's my way. It feels good. It must be right. It is right. It's my way. See? That's the legs. And the, now, and one of the th- that's one of the things the Lord hates in Proverbs 6, 18, when he says, feet that be swift they're really ready in running to mischief now, the bible speaks of swift feet in romans three fifteen. their feet are swift to shed blood so god says legs burn them outside the camp and then there were the inwards the inwards or the center as it means in the hebrew the central part of the young bull like where the heart is and that speaks of how the center of our being from the very center of our being wants to deceive us and say, hmm, feels good, must be right. See, that's Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, he says. Who can know it? See, God says, the heart, the deceitful part of the heart that's desperately wicked, God says, burn it outside the camp. And then there was the last, was the dung, the dung of the young bull. That had to be carried outside the camp and burned. That's basically the defilement of sin, how sin makes us dirty inside. He says, all that. Abraham was not a headstrong person in that he said, if she's not willing to come, then you're free from this, my oath. Now, with verse 9, our focus now changes from Abraham to Eliezer where it says, And the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swear to him concerning the matter. Now, what do we see in Eliezer here? What, we're going to, what we see in Eliezer is a wonderful picture of faithfulness. This was a faithful servant. Starts off saying, you know, servant. But he is a faithful servant to Abraham. And this is the time for Eliezer. Really, this is Eliezer's chapter. He rises to the occasion here. This is his time. It reminds us of the time in history when Hitler just had conquered France, taken Paris without a shot. France unconditionally surrenders to Germany. Now the Nazi forces gather on the coast of Calais, just 18 miles 
from Britain's White Cliffs of Dover. You know, that's like half the distance from San Pedro to Avalon, Catalina. You know, it's not very far. And the call comes to Britain. Call comes over the radio to Britain. The offer, if Britain surrenders, there'll be no bloodshed like in France. And so then comes the call from Winston Churchill over the radio, and he addresses England, and he says, the eyes of the world are upon us. And he speaks of Britain's responsibility to humanity when he said, let us stand firm even in defeat. And then he says these famous words, as this will be our finest hour. Well, this was Eliezer's finest hour to show himself Eliezer the Syrian which is not so bad to say because Abraham was a Syrian also. But anyway, Eliezer, the Syrian of Damascus, the faithful servant, it's going to be his finest hour. And so here he's showing himself faithful to Abraham. He's faithful to God. We should be as faithful to God as Eliezer was to Abraham. Look what he did. First in verse 5, when we see Eliezer raising this issue, why did he do this? Why did he bring this up about the woman potentially not be willing Because he's sitting there, as Eliezer is hearing this from Abraham, he's absorbing what Abraham has told him. He's taking it in, and he's carefully mulling it around what Abraham has said. He's letting it percolate through his mind, and he's pondering it. And so, you know, Abraham, when he told Eliezer, go get a wife, I mean, Eliezer didn't sit there and say, got it, got it, got it. Okay, I'll go do it. I'll give it a shot. I don't think it's going to work, but that's what you want. That's fine. That's not Eliezer. We can see him in verse 5 carefully considering what Abraham has said. And he's pondering it, what he's told him to do. And he's considering all the different scenarios. He's walking through everything that's going to happen as he goes back to this place to try to get this wife. And he says, boy, he says, you know, I'm thinking about this. This is mission impossible. It's not going to work. And so what is significant about verse 5 is not the issue of whether or not the woman's going to be willing to follow Eliezer, but what we learn from verse 5 is how Eliezer has carefully considered, deeply considered what Abraham has told him. And so what we see from verse 5 is how Eliezer has just absorbed the words of Abraham, and it's so astounding. That's the astounding part of verse 5. See, Eliezer has let Abraham's words sink deep into his heart. And that picture of Eliezer carefully considering Abraham's words, that picture of Eliezer having Abraham's words sink deep into his heart, that picture of Eliezer absorbing the words of Abraham, that's a picture of what God wants us to do with his words in the Bible. That we have this wonderful example here. We have other examples too in the Bible. We could see, for example, Jacob, he's got a son, Joseph. And the son Joseph comes up and says, I dreamed a dream last night. Let me get all the family together. I'm going to tell you what this dream was. Such a wonderful dream he has. He says, we're all going to bow down to him. And so all the family members said, ah, and they wrote it off. But not Jacob. It says in Genesis 37, 10 through 11, he told it to his father and to his brethren. His father rebuked him and said unto him, what's this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee? And then it says, and his brothers envied him. They hated him. They envied him. But then it said, his father observed his saying. He took it to his heart. Even though he rebuked him, he didn't let it go. He absorbed it. He took it to his heart. We see this in the picture of Mary, the sister of Martha, where we read about her in Luke 2, 19. When the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to her, it says, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. 
She should let it percolate through her mind. And we see this deep absorption of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in his mother, in Mary, his mother, where it says in Luke 2.51, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them, and his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. So she said, wait a second, what did he say? I'm not going to let that slip by. I'm going to keep that. So this deep absorption of the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see this, and there was a group. There was a group in Luke 166 that did that, where he says, and all they that heard them laid up in their hearts, laid them up in their hearts, saying, what manner of child shall this be? And the hand of the Lord was with them. See all these phrases? They laid them up in their hearts. They kept all these sayings in their heart. He observed all these sayings. He pondered them in her heart. See, all these are saying. And what this is saying to us is the message of the great Shema in Deuteronomy 6.4, where it starts off and it says, 6.4 through 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. Verse 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Tape them, ponder them, think about them. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ told his disciples to do in Luke 9, 43 for 44, when he says, it talks about the group, and then he talks to his disciples separately, and he says the group, he says, they were all amazed at the mighty power of God. So they said, oh, look at all those miracles. I haven't seen that today in a while. That's something. But then it says, while they wondered, everyone at all the things which Jesus did, see, you can picture it now. They're all, the big group is wondering about what Jesus did. Then it says that Jesus said unto his disciples in Luke 9, 44, let these things sink deep into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. See, he uses this term, sink deep into your ears. Describe how his words are to be to us. The book of Hebrews exhorts us this way when it talks about let's God's words sink deep into your ears when it says in Hebrews 2.1, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip, keep them. And the verse tells us give the more earnest heed, more effort, more focus, more concentration, Hebrews 12, 2 through 3 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, and then what does it say? For consider him. That's the next step. This is the facts. Now consider it. Now let it sink into your hearts. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your own minds. See, to keep us from being worn out, from just enduring, we're told, don't just know, but consider. Consider him. Don't just know that he suffered these things, but let it sink deep into our hearts. So letting the word of God, letting the words of the Lord Jesus Christ sink deep into our hearts will keep us from sin. That's what I, Psalm 119.11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin, sin against thee. It doesn't say thy word have I known, but the word have I hid. I'm not just able to quote chapter and verse in the Word of God, but I've hidden it in my heart. It's tucked away. It's in the deep recesses of my heart. I spent time tucking it here and tucking it there. Like someone that's got a lot of money and they're thinking about a burglar is going to break into their house and say, now I'll put some under the mattress and I'll put some under the chair. And that's what it means. And so every person in this world is categorized by how far they let the Word of God come into them. Every person is categorized by how far they let the word of God come into them. This is the meaning of the most important parable, the parable of the sower and the seed. Because it's really talking about, the parable of the sower and the seed is really talking about 
you could take a ruler and measure how far each person lets the word of God come into him, and then you can see those four categories. And he says it like this in Luke 8, 11 through 15. Now, the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those that be though by the wayside are they which hear, then cometh the devil, taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. They on the rock are they which, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root. And for a while believe, but in time of temptation they fall away. And they which fell among thorns are they which, when they heard, they go forth, and they're choked, choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life, bring no fruit to perfection. But that on the good ground are they which, in a good and honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, same word, and bring forth fruit unto patience. See the first group? Hard-hearted, hard-grounded persons. They don't let the word of God sink at all into their heart. So, gone. Doesn't go very far. Second group, rocky ground. Doesn't go very far either. Trials come, and the word has no root. Gone. Third group, thorny grounds. They let distractions. They let distractions of anxieties, of riches, of pleasures. They limit the word of God, as to how far it's going to go in by distractions. It's only the fourth group with the prepared ground that comes and they openly welcome the word of God. Openly welcome. They don't let trials, they don't let anxieties, they don't let riches, they don't let pleasures, they don't let any of that uproot the word of God. This is the only group that pleases God. And all because they let the word of God go deep into their hearts. We'll return with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God in just a moment. We want to announce that we have an opening here in the Southern California area with Israel Restoration Ministries. We're looking for a full-time missionary and volunteer missionaries to work with our Jewish evangelism mission, which is to reach lost Jewish people here in the Southern California area, San Diego, Orange County, and Los Angeles. We reach people all over the world, but we have an open full-time position in San Diego and in the Los Angeles area with Israel Restoration Ministries. So if you know someone that would like to be a full-time missionary or a volunteer missionary, have them contact us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. You can also call us to receive a free Jewish evangelism gift to give to a lost Jewish person or to make a donation towards Jewish evangelism and friendship with God. Again, 800-247-3051. Now here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Now, another way in which the Lord Jesus Christ asks that his words be carefully considered is what he said in Luke 14, 28 through 23, when he uses this term. He said, for which you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost. He says, counteth the cost. That's considering. That's pondering. That's letting it go deep. Whether he have sufficient to finish it. Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation, not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, and saying, this man began to build, was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth now down first, and consulteth whether he be able 10,000 to meet him with cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, when he's a great way off, he sendeth an embassage and, and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, he said, whosoever he be of you, that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Now he said, this is what it meant. This is what he meant when he says, count the cost. Count the cost, it means forsaking everything. Everything. 
houses, wives, lands, if it comes down to that. No one will count the cost unless they let his word sink deep into their hearts. And when he said in Luke 14, 26, if any man would come after me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he can't be my disciple. He's disqualified. He cannot be my disciple. So the first characteristic we see here in Eliezer is that he did not casually listen to what Abraham was saying, but he carefully considered Abraham's words. The second characteristic we see in Eliezer here from verse 5 is that Eliezer then, having absorbed what Abraham said, he now becomes married to the mission. He's married to it. It's now his mission. And he wants to succeed for Abraham. And so he knew the goal is to get a bride for Isaac. And that's why he asked in verse 5 about, well, what's plan B? If I can't bring Isaac back to the people, this is going to be a tough sell, he's thinking. So why did he ask that question? Why did Eliezer bring this up? Because he wanted to make Abraham happy. He wanted to get a wife for Isaac. And this shows how much Eliezer wanted to make Abraham happy by having a successful mission. See, he wasn't just a servant It wasn't just a servant. You know, he wasn't the attitude of, okay, look, I'm paid for eight hours of work. That's what Abraham's going to get. He's going to get his eight hours of work. I'll do the best I can, but if the mission's successful, the mission's successful. If the mission fails, the mission fails. Abraham gets my best shot. That's it. That's not Eliezer. That's not Eliezer. He wanted this to be successful. He wanted to make Abraham happy. And it shows that Eliezer is not just a servant to Abraham. He's a friend to Abraham. He's a servant friend or a friend servant. And if Eliezer saw himself as just a servant to Abraham and not a friend, then he would have thought, I got my orders, I'm off, I'm gone, I'll faithfully do what I've been ordered to do. But he sees himself also as a friend to Abraham. And as a friend to Abraham, Eliezer is taking this on as his personal goal. He says in verse 4, take a wife unto my son Isaac. That's me. That's why Paul starts off, he says, the gospel of Christ in Romans, gospel of God, and he ends the book with my gospel. He's become married to this is Eliezer. You see, as only a servant to Abraham, Eliezer would have said, all right, just tell me what I got to do and I'll do it. But as a friend of Abraham, Eliezer says, I've got to get a wife for Isaac. And that's why Eliezer is such a great example to us. Because we don't want to be just a servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be his friend. And so the Lord Jesus Christ doesn't want to be, us just to have the servant relationship with him. He wants us to have a friend relationship with him. That's why he said in John 15, 13 through 15, when he says, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his, not servants, friends. And then he says, Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. And he says, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I called you friends. For all things that I've heard of my Father, I've made known unto you. See, what's the difference here between the servant and the friend? The difference is making known, making known. You might say, making known. You might say, more than a servant needs to know. A servant only needs to know what he's supposed to do. But because he wants us to be his friends, he's told us much more than a servant needs to know. As a friend, he wants us to absorb his burdens. He wants to carefully, carefully consider them and to absorb them, his burdens, his concerns, and make them our own. 
He wants us to see him in Matthew 23, 37, as he stretches out his hands and he says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets, stonest those which are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. And in Romans 10, 21, he wants us to see, but to Israel he saith, all day long have I stretched forth my hand unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Now, we're Gentiles. Okay, we are Gentiles. <laughs> okay, if we are Gentiles, why do we care? Why do we need to know that God is stretching forth his hands to the Jewish people? It doesn't affect us. Only the Gentile servant of the Lord Jesus doesn't affect him. But a Gentile friend of the Lord Jesus, when he sees the Lord Jesus stretching his hands out daily, crying to the Jewish people, and he says, as a friend of the Lord Jesus Christ, I absorb that heart burden into myself for the lost Jewish people. It's my heart burden. A friend of the Lord Jesus Christ says, no, no, when I've come to church, I've come to sing to God. When I pray, I've come to stretch forth my soul to God. When I hear prayer requests, I've come to take those on as my burdens of my heart. And when I hear the word, I'll make my heart like a sponge and it's just going to absorb the word of God. See, that's a friend. And so what we've seen in these opening verses here is that the first and foremost, Eliezer of Damascus was not just a servant to Abraham. Eliezer of Damascus was a friend to Abraham. Now, until we get to verse 10, Eliezer has really not believed that this is possible. See, the issue is clear. And Eliezer says to Abraham, I can't do it. I can't find a wife like that who's willing to marry a man that she's never seen before that's 130 miles away. So up until verse 9, Eliezer is not willing to swear to Abraham. He's not in. But in verse 7, Abraham explains to Eliezer, and this is the great change that comes to Eliezer, that, look, God's going to get the wife. If, Eliezer, you do your part, then the angel's going to get involved. And then after that, Eliezer, he goes along with Abraham and he believes God. And then he becomes convinced. He's a convinced man. See, before this, he's not convinced. And then after uh, Abraham explains, he's convinced. Tremendous teaching by our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, who's also a scientist and biochemist and also the operator of the Creation and Earth History Museum. And we're offering three books for a donation of $20 or more, How Your Origins Matter, The Ice Age and the Flood, and The Search for Noah's Ark by Dr. John Morris. All three books for a donation of $20 or more to the Friendship with God radio program, and we'll send you these amazing creation and science books and resources. 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051 and get these three books for a donation of $20 or more. 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Or for more information, go to friendshipwithgod.org.